So it's an interesting lesson from Luke today. It's, it's an often misunderstood message also from the Bible. And so we'll take a little bit of time a little bit later on in my message uh, to break that down. But before we do that, I want to talk about our um, lesson, our Old Testament lesson that we didn't read this morning from Jeremiah. You have your bulletins. You can follow along in there. You see, in the days of Jeremiah the prophet, the nation of Judah was spiritually bankrupt. The people had turned away from the one true God and they were experimenting with false gods, placing their faith in empty, powerless gods and relying on their own understanding rather than the wisdom of the all-knowing, all-wise Lord God of the universe, Yahweh. In the eighth chapter of Jeremiah, the prophet is lamenting for the spiritually afflicted people. And his lament is this prophetic lament as the words that he cries are not his. He's echoing the very words of God as God grieves the spiritual depravity of his people. Now, I, I don't think it's a big leap for us to understand that what was going on in in Jeremiah's day and what's going on in our world today are not really all that different. As Scripture says, there's nothing new under the sun. The problems of ancient uh, Israel and the problems of the United States of America are very similar. As it was then, so it is now. And so the prophet is mourning for the people. He says, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. So, as Jeremiah laments there in this passage, you can see that the nation of Judah is obviously in really bad shape with their iniquity and inviting the grief and ultimately the wrath of Almighty God. They're in need of healing. And Jeremiah, who is called the weeping prophet for good reason, he calls out for healing, for a redeeming balm to be applied in the open wounds of his nation. He cries out, is there no balm in Gilead? He cries, Gilead was a region uh, east of the Jordan River. 
north of the land of Moab. It's a mountainous region, and there's a certain tree that, that grows there even still today, and it produces a, a rosin from which the ancient people made an ointment, a balm, which had healing properties when applied to a wound. So Jeremiah laments for a spiritual balm to heal the spiritual self-inflicted wounds of his people. And so he appeals to God, who is the great physician, to provide the healing. And he appeals to the people of Judah to apply the balm of repentance to make that healing come to pass. But they're a stubborn lot, people of Judah, just like a lot of folks in the world today and they refuse to consult the great physician they refuse to acknowledge god the only one who can do the healing they don't acknowledge they don't call upon the great physician to do the healing and so god is grieving he grieves at the unresponsiveness of his people and jeremiah expresses that that he too is weary He's weary when he looks out upon the nation and he sees this unresponsiveness, this apathy, this I don't care. I don't acknowledge God. I'm going to do my thing. It's all about me. And so Jeremiah wants to get away from the people. Their complacency, their apathy is draining him. His spirit is, is dwindling. The wickedness and the failure of the people to acknowledge the one true God just doesn't make sense to him. And so in Jeremiah 9, he wishes for a place to get away. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place, that I might leave my people and go away from them. For they are all adulterers and a band of traitors. They bend their tongues like bows. They have grown strong in the land for falsehood and not for truth. For they proceed from evil to evil and they do not know me, says the Lord. Beware of your neighbors, Jeremiah says, and put no trust in any of your kin. For all your kin are supplanters and every neighbor goes around like a slanderer. They all deceive their neighbors and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to speak lies. They commit iniquity and are too weary to repent. Oppression upon oppression, deceit upon deceit. They refuse, they refuse to know me, says the Lord. I, you know, I can't help, as I pondered this verse, I can't help but draw parallels to what's going on in the world today. In some ways, I get what Jeremiah is experiencing because, as you know, as ministers of the faith, which all of you are, leading ministry is challenging in the world today, is it not? You can wear your spirit down when the complacency and the apathy of the world, the apathy toward the God that you love, the God that you serve, the God that you worship, when that apathy weighs so heavily on our hearts, it can be defeating and burdensome to preach the gospel to a world that's refusing to hear it, let alone embrace it. Refusing to acknowledge that there even is a God. 
That goes on out there. Have you felt it? Have you seen it? If it wasn't going on out there, every one of these seats would be full. This is the world we ministers of the faith minister to. A world that's in need of the balm of repentance. And there's no one out there even consulting the physician. They're not even looking for a doctor. They're content, they're satisfied in their brokenness. The world suffers from the affliction of sin. There's a, it's a disease of which there is in fact a cure, but you have to accept the cure. And that brings us to the gospel that Bobby read this morning from Luke 16. See, there, there are a few passages in Scripture and some of them confuse us as we read them because they go against the grain. They go against our, our normal thought process. This is, this is one of those. Now, I'm going to read Luke 16 again, but this time I'm going to read from the message version so that we can all kind of get a sense of what Luke was writing about here. He said, Jesus said to his disciples, there was once a rich man who had a manager. He got reports that the manager had been taking advantage of his position by running up huge personal expenses. So he called him in and said, what is this that I hear about you? First of all, you're fired. And I want a complete audit of your books. And so the manager said to himself, what am I going to do now? I've lost my job as manager. I'm not strong enough to do a laboring job. I'm, I'm too proud to beg. So he came up with a plan. He says, here's what I'll do. Then when I'm turned out into the street, people will take me into their houses and give me shelter and food. And so he went about his plan. One after another, he called in the people who were in debt to his master. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? The man replied, a hundred jugs of olive oil. The manager said, here, take your bills, sit down right here, quick, write 50. To the next, he said, and you, what do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred sacks of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write in 80 sacks of wheat. Now, here's the thing that's counterintuitive. When the master found out what the manager had been doing, the master praised the crooked manager. Why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people, it says, are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They're on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. Luke says, Jesus says, I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right. Using every adversity to stimulate you to creative survival 
to concentrate your attention on the bare essentials so you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. You don't expect Jesus to, to praise the crooked manager, do you? I certainly do. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We want, we want people to fit into nice, neat little structures of law and order. Right? We want them to go by the rules, and if they get outside the lines, we want them to be corrected and put back inside the lines. Jesus is says, saying to us, no. It, it, it's really not about staying in the lines. It's about honoring and glorifying the Master, Jesus. Honoring and glorifying God. And when you use your creativity to bring people into relationship with Christ, even if you have to sit down and eat with a few sinners and tax collectors every now and then, and Facebook fact checkers, it, when you have to sit with them and show them that there's a better way through Jesus, that's using your street smarts. Your creativity. You're being street wise. Using the schemes of the world against the world, as it were. See, the condition of sin that the world refuses to give up will one day be judged by Almighty God. And like the manager in the parable, each of us will be called in front of the Master to face an audit of our books. To give an account of our life on earth. Now, if we've been a dishonest manager like the one in the parable, then we had better be ready for the expected outcome for the dishonest and crooked way we've conducted our accounts. We had better be ready to own up to our shortcomings. See, like the manager, if that's the way we have conducted ourselves with dishonesty and, and crookedness, we can expect to be fired. There are consequences. Matter of fact, hell fired. But Jesus says the master in the story praised the manager for his shrewdness in setting his accounts in order, making amends setting things right before the inevitable end took place. He doesn't praise him for his life of dishonesty. That's not what's going on here. He praises him for his streetwise creativity and ingenuity in setting the accounts right, creating treasure in heaven for himself, securing for himself a hope and a future by extending kindness and goodness to others. And in the process, making his master look kind and good, giving his master the honor and the glory for the correction in the accounts. See, we live in a world that is so in need of repentance, so in need of the gospel message of hope and redemption. And so Jesus tells us we need to be as shrewd as the worldly manager, using our street smarts 
to creatively set our accounts right and to help others get their accounts in order. We need to find ways to help them obtain the balm of repentance and show them how to apply it to the open wounds of their soul. This is the missional purpose of the church. This is our function out there in the world beyond those glass doors. To help people find the path to redemption through Jesus Christ by applying the balm of repentance. There's no greater purpose for your life. No greater purpose for the church. That's you. No greater purpose for your life in the kingdom of God. Because there is a balm in Gilead. His name is Jesus Christ. And the question for you to take from this sanctuary into the world is, will you help apply the balm of Jesus Christ to the wounds of a fallen and broken world? In the name of of God the great physician, the healer, the comforter. Amen.